0: come to our Bible reading this evening. It comes from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you have one of the Bibles that are in the pew, the little ones, uh, you'll find it on page 272 and 274. If you've got one of the bigger ones like me, it's on page 481. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verses 12 to 26. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot And the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want the servant would then ask "answer no hand it over now if you don't i will take it by force this sin was of the young men the sin of the young men was very great in the lord's sight for they were treating the lord's offering with contempt but samuel was ministering before the lord a boy wearing a linen ephod Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up In the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why are you doing such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I have heard spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him, but if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Turn over the page, perhaps we continue from chapter 3 and verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of the God, of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, "'Samuel, Samuel!' Then Samuel said, "'Speak, for your servant is listening.' And the Lord said to Samuel, "'See, I am about to do something in Israel "'that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. "'At that time I will bring out against Eli "'everything I spoke against his family.' from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good evening, everyone. Ed, can we have the the lights um, higher? I can't see very well, so thank you. Well, it's a a question of um, leadership, a question of leadership. Um, One Samuel that we're in at the moment describes the change from one form of leadership, uh, that of the judge's um, to another form of lead- leadership. It's actually a, a full, uh, full-blown full uh, monarchy. Um, now, this isn't the political um, revolution, really. It's actually the revolution of God. It's God's revolution. He's raising up a king. We spoke a little bit about that last time. But before we get there, the writer wants to make it clear um, that the fundamental problem with humanity isn't the the political, and it it isn't so much the leadership per se. No, that the fundamental problem uh, comes from within within all of us. Um, It's sin. And the solution isn't looking to political um, leaders, to kings and princes, to ministers and presidents but to look to our creator for leadership, for his perfect leadership. Democracy, whatever we think of democracy, may be the best, worst option, but it will not solve the inner problem. For that, we need the word of God to be established within us so that we may respond in trust and obedience. Let's just take a moment to, to pray, shall we? God, our Father, we thank you uh, for bringing us together tonight. And we thank you for your word. And we pray that you will teach us by your spirit um, about your leadership. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's two two points. Um, do keep your Bibles open if you want them at two, page 272. There's two really two parts and follow the two chapters. Um, first, there's Eli's ending. Uh, we see um, godless leadership rejected. And then in Samuel's new beginning, we see God's leadership being established. you see you know, the difference? I'm not saying Samuel's leadership. It's actually God's leadership. So first of all, um, Eli's ends and the godless leadership is, is rejected. 1 Samuel, uh, as you may remember, began on a a depressing note. The nation was in despair. Everything was going um, wrong. And this was symbolically captured in the despair of the childless Hannah. But then turned to hope as um, she had a child. And chapter 2 begins with Hannah's song reminding us that God is in control and that he is the rock and the foundation of everything. And he will come. He's going to come and he's going to put things right through his king, through his anointed one. And um, that's what we read about with Hannah. Then we come to verse 12. And doesn't it hit you hard when you come to chapter 2, verse 12? Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Oh, we hit the ground with a bump, don't we? No respect for God. And... That comes through in their attitude to the whole sacrificial system. The, you see that the priests were responsible for ministering the sacrifices. Uh, and what were they? Sometimes we can feel a bit detached from these culturally, can't we? What were they? Well, these were serious occasions, these sacrifices. The people came to God. They realized because of their sin, they couldn't just enter God's presence into his perfection because of their sin and death was actually demanded a payment for sin was required but God in his love and his grace found a way and the sin was symbolically laid on an animal it was transferred onto an animal and the animal was killed as a substitute death had occurred payment made That was the sacrificial system. Now, what we had going on here was a portion of the animal that had been used for the sacrifice was being burned before the Lord, and it was uh, meant as an act of devotion to God. Uh, uh, Another portion was cooked for the people. That was the fellowship offering to celebrate what an amazing God we have. And then another portion went to the priests, Eli and his sons, it was adequate, but not for Eli's sons. No, they didn't just want the priest's portion, they wanted God's portion. They didn't want, just want God's portion, they wanted the people's portion, the, the fellowship. They really wanted it all. They got in there first with their three-pronged fork, whatever that looks like. Um, they got in there and they took it all. They were greedy. Not only were they greedy, but um, they were, had a sexual appetite too. You read about that in verse 22. They slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Can you imagine that? What was going on? I mean, this may have been normal for the kind of surrounding tribes and, and nations, but this was Israel. This was God's chosen people. Set apart for his service, the priests, the priests. This was Shiloh, the tabernacle where God's presence was symbolically uh, held. As the leaders, they were meant to submit to God and to serve his people. And neither happened. No regard, it says in verse 12, for the Lord or for the people. It was wicked. It was a terrible, wicked situation. Let's make no mistake. Now, sure. When we think about leadership, we can think of examples of leaders that like this. But, of course, before we do that, before we start pointing the finger, let's not forget that that same heart, that same selfish heart is in us all. To use our power and our positions um, for our own selfish gains. It can come out in different ways. It may not be quite as stark as it is here, but it comes out in us all. We, what sort of things might it might be that we say, well, I'm in charge in, uh, in the home. I can sit and watch the TV, and yeah, this, my wife and, or my husband can do the cleaning up and, um, because I want to watch the TV. Or it could be at work. I'm the boss at work. I, I, I will take the holidays when I want them. The rest can take it when they can later. It can happen in the church as well, can't it? Doesn't just it in the workplace. We look humble, we look like we're giving to others, but inside we're thinking, you know, look at me, look how busy I am, look how great I am, look how in charge I am. Okay, it might not be quite what Eli's sons were doing, but let's not deceive ourselves. That same selfish heart is is in us all. And Jesus said, didn't he, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Eli's sons. But what about Eli himself? Surely, if Eli's around, perhaps things won't be quite so bad. To be fair, he, he does try and tell his sons off, doesn't he? Verse 23, he says, why, why do you do these things, such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not good report that I hear spreading. But before we get carried away, verse 25 says, his sons did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death the Lord's will, to put them to death. Doesn't that send a a, a kind of shock to you? Doesn't that seem quite harsh to us? Do we think that they've somehow not had a chance? Do we not think that they've had a long chance to turn back to God? Do we feel that somehow God is overruling their will in some way? Well, of course, that might be one side of the story. But the Bible makes it clear that God is love. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to turn to him. That is his heart, that is his longing. He gives us freedom. He never forces or imposes himself upon us. And there comes a time, though, that if we keep resisting, we keep turning our backs on him, keep pushing him away, when we can't perhaps respond... And that is his settled judgment. It's actually quite a a warning, I think. Perhaps it's a warning for someone here this evening that, that knows who Jesus is and what he's done for them and has known for a very long time but has never given themselves to Jesus fully. It's time to surrender to Jesus. It's time to stop playing around with him. Maybe the window of opportunity may not last forever. Don't say, I'll I'll, I'll sort it out later. I'll sort it out when I'm at university. Or when I've sorted out my life situation. I'll turn to Jesus at the end. Perhaps just before I die. Friends, I, I know so few deathbed conversions. Today... Jesus says, doesn't he? It says in the New Testament, today is the day of salvation. Verse 20 gets to the heart of the problem for Eli. Verse 20, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Why do you honor your sons more? Than you honour me. Judgment is coming to Eli as well because he was passively in on the racket. Rather than saying this must not happen and and not acting on it, he was honouring his sons more than he was honouring God. It's a very chilling statement. It's a sad, sad statement. Eli was so weak. He was compromised. Yes, it it took courage to say to his sons, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing it. And yet, it continues. He doesn't, you see, follow through with actions. He did not stand firm. He did not discipline his sons. He should have thrown them out. He should have thrown him out of Shiloh. To see, why? Because to see this is the severity of sin. Of the severity of the wickedness and the danger that they were in. Instead he passively goes along with it. He honoured his sons more than God. Yeah, yeah, this is hard stuff, isn't it? I find this hard stuff. Thinking about my own family. Family. My own children? Do I honour and love my children more than I honour and love God? It's a tough situation. It's a tough job being a parent. It's a tough job being a son or daughter. Do we hold off, if you're a parent, do we hold off disciplining our children because we're frightened that they'll say horrible things and won't be our friend? I think the job of a parent is not primarily to bring children up to be your friends. I'll say that again. The job of a parent is not primarily to bring children up to be your friends, but to be God's friends. If we do that, in the long run, they're going to be your friends. But that means that we have to sometimes discipline. That means we need to see it through. Not just say it with words. We need to see it through. Don't be weak. But don't be harsh. Don't be unfair. But don't be weak. Our children need us to be firm. Firm with love. And so it was the end of Eli's priestly line, what a terrible situation. It's chilling, it's sad, it's desperate. The leadership is rejected. But let's turn to something more positive the new beginning, Samuel's beginning, in chapter three. God establishes his leadership. Um, just before, though, perhaps we leave chapter 2, um, you might have noticed that interwoven all the way through chapter 2 are these little hints of new hope, these rays of light, and they're just beautiful to encourage us in the starkness of the, the chapter. Verse 11, the boy ministered before the Lord. Verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord. And it's a beautiful little section, we haven't really got time to dwell on, where Hannah um, year after year, comes back to the, temp- to the tabernacle, bringing Samuel a new robe. It's like the start of the school year, isn't it? <laughs> He's grown out of his trousers and they're, they're up here. And it's just a beautiful scene, isn't it? I can just imagine that Hannah brings in his new robe. What a, what a wonderful thing. No doubt, praying for For the boy as he grows. Verse twenty one The boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And right there is my prayer for the next generation of this church. Quietly, steadily growing before the Lord in the presence of the Lord. Verse twenty six it's there again. Samuel continues to grow in stature and favour with the Lord and with men. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anyone? It does, doesn't it? It reminds us of another boy. Probably steadily growing, hard at work, in the carpenter's business, the carpenter's in his father's business, year after year. And God was with him too. Luke two fifty two says this, and Jesus grew in wisdom and statute and in favor with God and men. I reckon there's a parallel there, I, I don't know for certain, but it seems too, the words are so similar. To so chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. Unless God speaks, we cannot know him. Unless he speaks, we cannot know him. To know God, you need revelation. You need communication. It's absolutely fundamental. Now, I'm pretty sure that none of you here have met my Uncle Jim. Just take a moment. What can you tell me about my Uncle Jim? Thank you, Peter. I love a rhetorical question that gets an answer <laughs> he's my uncle he's his real, name's james. his real name's probably james that's well surmised <laughs> he, He's a man, he's, he's a man. <laughs> and uh, he yeah he is his name's um Jim or James. Um, now take a moment um now to Take a moment just to try and really think. use your rational thought to try and really think it out. you got anything anymore? You might suppose that he 's incredibly good looking because it 's in the genes. <laughs> maybe not <laughs> oh let 's try something else let let 's do the the uh, Let's do um, the uh, Star Wars approach, the, the Yoda approach. Reach out with your feelings. What have you got? Anything? Nothing. It's not going to get you very far. For this, you need me to speak, don't you? Even better still, I could get him to come down and meet you, couldn't I? It would have been really good if he'd been able to be here. <laughs> my Uncle Jim. Um, I could tell you that, you know, he's in his 70s, he lives in the Scottish Borders, he's got two children, and he has a, a passion for vintage Citroen French cars. Don't ask me why. <laughs> but enough about my Uncle Jim. But this is, this is the same with God. How are we supposed to know God? You could try and think... But our minds are just too puny. You could try and feel. Work up some kind of sweat or trance. Like some people do today. Look to the east. Look within themselves. Nothing. But it might just be. We need God to speak. We need revelation. We need God to speak. And praise God, he does that. Verse 2. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Now, Everything's written with a pur- purpose, isn't it? No word is wasted here. Eli's virtual blindness mirrors the virtual blindness of Israel. Sleepy Eli, sleepy Israel. And yet the lamp of God is flickering, but it's not yet gone out. Isn't that? It's a little touch, a hint of hope. Isn't it wonderful? It's a sign of hope that God is about to speak again. And so Samuel is called. Eleven times in the passage, I think, the word called is used. A prophet cannot be self-appointed. He had to be called. And Samuel doesn't realize what's going on, because he's not met the Lord before. But thankfully, Eli does. And he reveals himself. Verse 10, it says, The Lord came and stood there, calling, Samuel, Samuel. He revealed himself. In his person, he stood there. He stood there. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make your ears of everyone who hears it tingle. This is how we are to respond to the, the word of God, isn't it? By listening. By listening. Eli, Eli's leadership had ended. And God's first word was a word of judgment. It's not so much about a kind of new, a new dynasty um, at, here at the beginning, but about God establishing his leadership. And how does he establish his leadership? He establishes leadership through his word. It comes through his word. Under the word of God, it's the prophet Samuel speaking the word who anoints Saul. You see it again. When Saul is rejected, we will see it shortly. When Saul is rejected, it's the prophet Samuel speaking the word of God to Saul. And so the spirit of God departs from Saul. It's the prophet Samuel speaking the word of God who anoints David to be king. It's the prophet of God Nathan who speaks the word of God to David when King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. What is it saying? It's saying God is our leader. It keeps saying the same things. God is leading us through his word. We're to, to reject that, that gut instinct in us to be in charge, to be our own leaders. We're all called to be like Samuel, saying that those words in verse 10, Lord, speak. Lord, speak to me. Speak to me through your word. Your servant is listening. Those should be the words on our hearts. And a couple of thoughts of application as we close. One of the things I think is quite important for us as we look through these two chapters is, one, is that we should remember that God is not to be mocked. Going back to what happened to Eli and his sons. God will not be mocked. And we... We need to be aware of that, and we need to come under God's leadership in that. Secondly, we need to be aware, I think, of intolerant compromise. You know, I can imagine people saying of Eli, he was a nice fellow, wasn't he, Eli? You know, he said all the right things. What a, what a decent um, priest. He knew what was good and right. And maybe that was true outwardly. Maybe he did say the right things, but did he act on it? He didn't do anything. When it came to the crunch, he honoured his sons more than the Lord. Maybe there's something in our lives that we honour more than God. I don't know what that might be. You have to think for yourselves what that might be. It might be our kids. It might be a good thing. Our kids are good things. Of course they're good things. But there are other good things that we may put in front of. Of God and honor more that somehow seem to stunt our growth as Christians because we're not putting God first, it's we're compromising. Beware of that kind of compromise. Thirdly, the lamp, the lamp. Notice the lamp, the lamp of hope has not gone out. It was a dark situation in Israel, it was a desperate situation. I don't know your situations here this evening. You may be in some difficult and dark situations for whatever reason. You might be going through the mill. You might be struggling to hold on as a Christian in the workplace. You feel under pressure to compromise. You might be the only Christian in your place of work or even in your office or in your school or college. It's hard. But don't lose hope. The lamp of the Lord has not gone out Remember God's promise. He sent Jesus as the light of the world. He came into the world and who died and rose again and will come back again. Hope has not gone. The lamp still flickers. And finally, let's remember to listen. To listen. Really listen to God speaking. I'm rubbish at listening. My wife tells me that all the time. We need to listen to God in His Word time and time again. God has spoken and He keeps on speaking. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One and Only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. Day by day, that constant desire to hear from the Lord. To hear his words of grace. To hear his words of truth. To respond in faith and obedience. To not compromise. And to not harden our hearts. Shall we pray? Our God, our Father, we... Uh, thank you for your word, word tonight. In many ways, it's a, a hard word for us, and yet we know your word is good for us. We pray that we come under its authority. We thank you that you speak to us. Please help us to hear it, to listen to it, and to act on it. Father, we thank you for that lamp that the lamp has not gone out. And we thank you that it's because of your grace and your love that you so desire to speak to us in your word. We pray that you change our hearts, that we may listen, and that we would come under your leadership, now and always. Amen. Amen.